Hey fellow trauma nerds! We have a segment here on trauma bonding that we recorded from a recent Instagram livestream. You can join us for the next one on Sunday night, and maybe Justin and I will answer one of your questions. In the meantime, please enjoy this mini-episode. So let's talk about trauma bonding. Let's do. Have you looked into this at all? This is something that um, I have heard of from peop- a number of people now. And I think we're all... I haven't. I, I think we're all pretty... It. You'll probably uh, be pretty familiar with it under different words like uh, Stockholm Syndrome or the fawn. They call it the fawn trauma response. To me, it's very similar. It's like the same thing. Um, I talked about that way back in episode eight, I think. So trauma bonding, Stockholm Syndrome, the fawn trauma response, these are all in the same family. But I want to focus on the trauma bonding that happens in an abusive relationship. And I see elements of this in the teens that I work with, especially the girls that I work with. Um, I haven't worked with adults. I haven't done couples work, but I do see elements of this. And so I think I can speak on some level about it that makes sense in the way I see it. So I'm, I'm curious what you think, Mercedes, as we go through this. Okay. Uh, but, but basically it's just boring. Um, I'm sorry, forming a bond with your abuser. With your or if it's Stockholm syndrome, that's when you're being held hostage, forming a bond with your hostage taker, or even with like an incestuous parent, it's forming a bond with the person who is abusing you. That yeah, that's basically it. This is a part part of this is the cycle of abuse, and I think a lot of people have heard about the cycle of abuse. So I think think about everyone's heard of probably the cycle of abuse, um, where there's basically like. The abuser is abusive, they're violent, and they go through, and I don't know the whole cycle, but basically there's the violence or abuse followed up by apologies and positivity, which gets them back in the good graces and then back into violence, and like it happens repeatedly, right? It's a basic idea, I think. Mm-hmm. So part of this, I think the trauma bonding is the cycle of abuse and reinforcement of that. So apologies or being treated special, uh, be being given promises to make up for the abuse. Somebody asked if it's similar to a fantasy bond. I don't know what a fantasy bond is, so I don't know. So part, a big part of this in forming a bond with an abuser is that they go through this that cycle of abuse where there's abuse, but then they, I don't want to say make up for it, but they, they know how to get that person back, like how to work their way back in their life. Mm-hmm. So, so like you mean apologies. The does. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it, it might be what looks like an apology, and they they say I'm sorry, but obviously it's I can't imagine it's a true apology. Um, but treating that person differently, in a very special way, making empty promises, or maybe they mean them. I don't think so. But then also you combine that the next day with like threats of telling a secret about the person, threatening to harm somebody else, and of course abusing them all over again that there's this like cycle right mm-hmm. of abuse but also a bond that's sort of happening but i think what i want to look at is on a polyvagal level of course is what i think might be happening and on a polyvagal level the, the person who's being abused they're not mobilizing there's danger but they're not mobilizing and getting away mm-hmm. and they or if they do they come back so they're not even though there's danger they're not mobilizing and I think what we call that is unhealthy neuroception. There's danger, but 
but the, the response is not there to get out of the danger, they're not leaving the abuser. They're right. clearly down the ladder, right? And I would think chronically, I, I would think that they enter the relationship down the ladder, probably the very beginning, even like, you know, probably stuff right. from childhood. Probably, yeah, I was just going to say that. Yeah. Probably patterns of, of relating to other people formed in childhood. Yeah. And we have a, we had a comment right here. It says, even in abuse, the attention feels like love. It's not real, yet they take the abuse to receive attention slash connection, a fantasy. Oh, and that makes sense. Yeah, and that's that's kind of where I'm headed. Um, mm-hmm. Where if you're entering into a relationship in this shutdown or free state, but this abuse, and people who abuse know how to play on that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And this this is what I see a lot with the girls that I work with is that they don't spot the red flags. And as they talk to me about these people they're with, I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, red flag, red flag, red flag. Right. Danger, danger, danger. Yeah, but they're not seeing it because their neuroception's not there. And what's happening is that they're getting a relief, I think, from their shutdown or free state because now someone sees value in me. And someone who's an abuser or highly manipulative, they know how to use, I think, polyvagal cues of safety, like smiles and, you know, um, eye contact. Um, mm-hmm. They know how to fake like they're listening. I don't think they're actually like emotionally, empathetically listening. Right. You but you're, I, I agree with you that they know how to fake it. Like they know what to do with their faces to make it look as if they're connecting. And they know the right words to say and, and all that stuff. So they're giving all these cues of safety, which helps that person shutdown come out of, I think, come out of shutdown. And now they're more sympathetically charged and more mobile. And now they're attaching and bonding with the person who is worth a thing that is giving them relief, just like a drug, I think. You see what I'm saying? Like they're, they're coming mm-hmm. out of shutdown because of this person's like coaxing, coaxing them out of shutdown in a way, giving them relief from their shutdown. Right. But then being abusive and sending them right back down into it over and over and over again. So there's this dependency that builds because this person, just like a drug or just like, I don't know, any other way that you use to get out of shutdown. This person's helping me come out of that and I'm building this attachment with them. And it feels like love. It feels like excitement because all the energy is coming up now when you go into a sympathetic state, right? Mm-hmm. So it feels like lust and it feels like all these things and I feel alive finally. But then that person sends you straight back down through their abuse. So it it builds this dependency and I think this kind of addiction on the abuser, if I put it that way. So does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's this temporary, yeah, like a temporary it's, state shift out of yeah, shutdown. like like it it feels to them in in their unhealthy neuroception place. It feels to them like a true connection yeah. or like fulfilling a need, but. Because they have unhealthy neuroception, they can't read the cues of danger and the and the red flags that are there. Yeah. They they misinterpret those cues as, you know, safety or mm-hmm. love or what you know, whatever. Insert label here. Yeah. And I think that with the, the girls I talk with that after they get out of these situations or even while they're in them, if if they can talk it out with me, they begin to say, Oh, you know what, there was that one thing early on, like he said this thing. Or he did this thing, and it didn't feel right, but I just, it didn't, like, that feeling was there, but they didn't, there was no, like, connection of, like, I should leave. You right. know what I mean? Right. And I think that's pretty common, I think, with um, abusive relationships, is if you think, if once you get out of it, especially, and you could think clearly, and you're actually in a better place, 
that you'll think back and say, well, there was this moment or he, yeah. he always did, he always did this thing or she or whoever. They always mm-hmm. did this thing. And yeah, I guess that was like a big deal. Or I guess that was a red flag. I just, I missed it. And I, that, that's what I hear a lot. Yeah. Uh, just because the, the ability to, to recognize and then mobilize based on those is really compromised. Um, and I think that people who are in an abusive relationship, I think it's common that they go through multiple abusive relationships. It's not like it happens just once. Um, I think that based on the way you're raised, that this might be, and the people we work with, the parents we work with, that there's a, a repeated, uh, well, it's a pattern, right? Mm-hmm. There's a pattern of relationships that these, that they get into. Uh, because in between relationships, they haven't actually changed state. They're still in a very shut down or freeze, frozen sort yes. of place. So they haven't actually changed state. They're still not neurocepting safe relationships. So the next person that comes around that, that recognizes that, and I, I think that people who are abusive can recognize someone who's in a shutdown place and take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that those people are probably more of a, a very unhealthy fight state uh, where they're able to dominate someone who's in shutdown and yeah. and really play upon their weaknesses and, and say the things that they want to say, make all the promises and, you know, whatever else. But that person in the shutdown, they don't actually change their state. They don't actually make safe connections in between those relationships, I think. So it happens again and again and again. Right. And it's like you were saying, when, once the person, the victim, can have some separation and some some time and space away from those types of relationships, then they can look back and say, oh, now I now I see that pattern or now I can see those behaviors for what they were. But while they're still living in it and they're still in that drop down the ladder place, they, yeah. they can't make those connections. Right, right. Yeah. And it, it seems to help if, if I can say them back to the person, like when in therapy, if I can hear these things and I just keep it to myself for a minute and let them talk. And then I'll say, this is what I'm hearing you say. And I reward it. And they go, oh. Yes. You know? Yes. I have those moments a lot too where you just, you give them back what they what they just said, but kind of in a different wording. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's an aha moment. Like, whoa, yeah. I didn't see that. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Or even like patterns of relationships. Like mm-hmm. the thing that's happening in this one, same thing that happened in the last one. Yeah. And, the, and they'll say, yeah, but this, this is different because blah, blah, blah. And I'll say, that's what you said in the last one. You know, and pointing out these patterns in this, like the big, the higher level theme, like the higher level mm-hmm. theme, because the, they're so wrapped up in the person and the moment and the text message that they're getting that's upsetting them that, that day. And what did I do wrong? Like they get so wrapped up in all this stuff versus like bigger picture. You've, we've, we've done this before. I've seen this happen before. And we're mm-hmm. repeating stuff. Yeah. So those are my thoughts on trauma bonding and kind of how it might connect to polyvagal theory. Um, a couple of people have asked that. Hopefully that was helpful. I think so. Okay. Uh, bye. Bye, everybody. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> bye, everyone. <laughs> that was really abrupt. <laughs> <laughs>